beautiful Sabbath morning. Blessings to all of you. Do you know how many miracles Jesus performed while he was here on earth? Do you know? I don't know. I discovered Google doesn't know. But I did find out that the Gospels record approximately 40 specific miracles. However, we know that he healed multitudes. He often left villages with no one sick. And plus, he did many other things that were not recorded in Scripture. I like what the bulletin insert says, that Jesus' miracles were just an outflow of who he was. Steve and I recently participated in the Desire of Ages Challenge with David Ashrick, reading through all 86 chapters in just a little over 90 days. And it was an incredibly rich spiritual blessing. I feel like I was reconverted after, after just so intensely going through the Desire of Ages again. So, though we are at the very beginning of our series on Jesus' miracles, we chose one of his last, most prominent public demonstrations, which is actually referred to as the crowning miracle of his ministry, and that is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, this story has many just twists and themes and threads, and we can't, we can't address them all, but we plan just to share some things that were meaningful to us. So, I have a younger brother named Tom. Um, we were two energetic little boys that played together and did our fair share of fighting, which didn't really end until I went off to a boarding academy. Um, I loved academy, by the way, and that's one of the reasons I came to teach here. Um, then we roamed, roamed together by choice after I went to academy. One thing growing up we used to do was play charades. Uh, my brother and I would go into another room and plan how we would act out a Bible story silently. My parents would guess what we were acting. My parents' favorite charade was when we would roll up in a blanket and pretend to be Lazarus because my brother and I would be still for a few minutes they would uh, struggle to figure out what we were acting out. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Father, um, send your Holy Spirit to be here and just help us to see a clearer picture of you um, through the words that we have to share today. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start by reading John. I got a thing I got to turn off. There we go. Now, a certain man, oh my goodness. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So these first verses give us a few facts about this man, Lazarus. I find it interesting that Lazarus is only mentioned in the Gospel of John. 
in this chapter, um, chapter 11, and the next chapter, chapter 12. But his sisters were also referred to back in Luke. And that's the time when Jesus first visited this family. That's the time when Martha was irritated at her sister because her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, and she was busy in the kitchen, concerned about her meal. But Jesus gently reminds Martha and me, because I very much identify with Martha, to focus on what is most important, and that is soaking up the words of Jesus. We also can tell from these verses that John, the author, wants to make sure we know who this Mary is. So Lazarus' sister Mary, this is the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume, the same Mary who wiped his feet with her hair, the same Mary that Jesus forgave and from whom he cast seven demons. We also see that this family is from Bethany, which is just under two miles from Bethlehem, no, from Jerusalem. And we also see that Lazarus is special. He is extra special to Jesus because when the sisters send word to Jesus, they say, they refer to their brother as the one, the one that you love. The one you love is sick. So the desire of ages, which I have been so blessed by, Ellen White gives some added insight. She says that among the most steadfast of Jesus' disciples was Lazarus of Bethany. From their first meeting, his faith in Christ had been strong. His love for Jesus was deep, and he was greatly beloved by the Savior. And then she goes on to say that Jesus' heart was knit by a strong bond of affection to these siblings, to this family. He had often found rest and escape in their peaceful home. Here he didn't have to worry about the jealous priests, about the spies and their traps. He was able to be refreshed from the exhaustion of public life. With his friends, he could let his guard down. He could speak plainly. He didn't have to talk in parables. And they were attentive listeners, cherishing his words. She says here that Jesus found human tenderness, courtesy, and affection that he longed for. And there's something about that just warms my heart, that Jesus, the Son of God, longed for human tenderness and courtesy. And you know, as Christ followers, I pray that we are enabled to give that to others, that we'll be able to offer that affection and tenderness. And then, of course, I hope that we also have a special place, a special home where we can be free to be ourselves, where we are loved unreservedly, and where we don't have to worry about our words being misunderstood. So when Lazarus became sick, Jesus was not in Bethany. When he received word that his friend was sick, he was most likely probably no further than a day's journey away. So let's keep reading in John eleven four. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So it says here 
clear that Jesus loved them all, but he still stayed where he was two more days. Now, the sisters hadn't even requested that Jesus come. They just assumed he would. They thought that he would, as soon as he got the message, he would drop everything and get there as soon as possible. The one he loved was sick. And the sisters knew of the miracles that Jesus had been doing for other people. The disciples were also confused. They wondered why Jesus didn't immediately go to Lazarus, which led them to question how come Jesus didn't rescue his cousin, John the Baptist? Why did he leave him in prison to die? Which made them wonder, what what is Jesus up to? Well, back in Bethany, Mary and Martha were tending their very, very ill brother, anxiously hoping and waiting for Jesus to come. He didn't. The messenger came back, and he had a message for them, because Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. So they had hope. So they continued to wait and to hope and pray as Lazarus grew sicker. Waiting. I suspect that we have all experienced some seasons of waiting. Waiting for God to work, for him to answer our prayers. I've been between jobs uh, several times in the last couple years, and I can tell you it is frustrating when there's nothing you can do to control the outcome or speed up the process. I just have to share one period of agonized waiting that comes to my mind, and that was the adoption of our youngest child, Kendra. Uh, It took 18 months, which is twice as long as a normal pregnancy. Uh, We we spent months filling out forms, um, getting fingerprints, um, having to have home and mental assessments. Finally, finally, we were matched, which means that the country of China told us who our daughter was and where she was, what orphanage she was at. So we were given a picture of this somber-faced, tiny little girl. She looked like a little dolly, just a little China doll. But we couldn't get her. We couldn't get her yet. We were matched in November, and her first birthday was in December. So we prayed, oh, it would be so awesome if we could get her before her first birthday. We celebrated without her. I have pictures of Kelby and Nolan eating cupcakes and opening her presents as we celebrated without her. Christmas came, and we celebrated without her. It was just excruciating knowing that my baby girl was on the other side of the globe, and we just had to wait. We had to wait and pray for her. Well, finally, finally after the new year, Steve and I were able to fly over there and get her, which was just an incredible, amazing experience. Um, But we realized, and those of you that are parents will realize, that that was just the beginning of waiting. Because we had to wait for her to trust us, to get used to us, to not be terrified of the cat. Um, And now that she's 17, we are still waiting. She's off at summer camp working in Kansas, and we're waiting to hear from her. (laughs) So there's always more waiting. Maybe you are in the midst of waiting right now for a home, possibly, 
a job, a promotion, a wedding, a child, maybe for financial stability, for direction, maybe reconciliation, for a wayward child to come home. Maybe you've asked for healing for yourself or for a loved one, and you haven't received an answer. The Desire of Ages says that Jesus witnessed the sorrow of the two sisters. He beheld the scene that rent their hearts as they waited, and they fought death. They were not alone, but they were upheld by the sustaining grace of Jesus. Like the song that you sang, He will hold me fast. That's what he was doing for those sisters. And that's what he will do for us in our waiting. I like the example of King David in the Bible. He is a good example of someone who had to wait a long time from when he was first anointed to actually being crowned king. And he was hunted and on the run much of that time. He says, King David says in Psalm 27, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. While Mary and Martha's waiting did not end as they had hoped. When Jesus didn't show up and their beloved brother died, they were devastated. They were bitterly disappointed. They were confused. We know how the story ends. They didn't. So starting in verse uh, 7 of John 11, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So we see how Jesus has this convoluted dialogue with his disciples, who had actually temporarily forgotten about Lazarus. They were concerned about their safety and Jesus' safety. But Jesus has this very tender remark. He says that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Again, his disciples are confused. They think it's a good thing that Lazarus is sleeping. And only reluctantly does Jesus tell them Lazarus is dead. And then even more amazing, right after that, he says, and I am glad. I'm glad I wasn't there. So it seemed that Jesus had intentionally stayed away from his friends. And the truth is, he did. He did, and he stayed away on purpose because if Jesus had been in that room where Lazarus lay sick, 
Lazarus would not have died. Satan would have had no power over the creator of life if Jesus was standing there. So Jesus stayed away so that Satan could temporarily exert his power in order that Christ's power would be on permanent display. If Jesus had showed up when everyone thought he should have showed up, this crowning act of his divinity, this act that showed everyone he was who he said he was, would not have happened. Him staying away was an act of mercy for the sake of the disciples, for Martha, for Mary, and for all the people through the ages that would believe because of this miracle. But, again, the heartbroken sisters, they didn't know. They didn't know this yet. So I'm going to just quote straight from Desire of Ages. This is on page 528. The suffering sisters saw their brother laid in the grave. Christ knew that as they looked on the dead face of their brother, their faith in their Redeemer would be severely tried. But he knew that because of the struggle through which they were now passing, their faith would shine forth with far greater power. He suffered every pang of sorrow that they endured. He loved them no less because he tarried. And then this next section is specifically for us right now. She says, to all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the moment of greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. They will look back with thanksgiving upon the darkest part of their way. From every temptation and every trial, he will bring them forth with firmer faith and a richer experience. To all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the time of greatest discouragement. That's when divine help is nearest. Now, I certainly don't pretend to understand the depths of suffering in this world and what you may have endured or why certain unspeakable atrocities take place in this world. There are forces at work behind the scenes that we have no idea about. There's a great controversy going on. All I know is that God is for us, and that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, give us all things? That's in Romans 8. So we can see just a tiny postage size glimpse of a huge billboard picture of what is going on. Jesus sees everything. He sees it all. Now, there may be times when we get a little glimpse of how and why God works the way he does. Occasionally, a situation will end up neat and tidy, and we can say, ah, now I understand. I understand why God did that. But most of the time, we will have to wait for eternity to get resolution to our questions. I love what Johnny Erickson taught us says. She is that incredible woman who has been a quadriplegic for over 55 years. Uh, she has battled cancer and chronic pain. And she says, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let's read a little more from John. 
So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Martha's conversation with Jesus reveals a mix. She had a mix of faith and some doubt. She knew that Jesus could have healed her brother if he had come, but why didn't he? The one man who could have helped her didn't. He didn't even get there for the burial. But Jesus doesn't criticize her. God is not threatened by our doubt. He doesn't condemn us when we question and voice our confusion. Again, look at David and the Psalms, which are are full of him processing. Uh, I like what David Ashrick says. He says we must hold on to our faith tightly, but hold on to our doubts with an open hand. Now, Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again, and she skips ahead thinking that he's talking about the resurrection of the last day, where he's talking about this day, today. And then Jesus answers Martha with the incredible promise that Nancy read to us for our scripture, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is the resurrection. That is what our hope is based on. He is the resurrection, and he proves that in just a little while later at his own resurrection. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, we've talked about waiting for God to answer our prayers. What about when God says no to our prayers? I'm guessing you have all had times 
where God has said no. Uh, one such time in our family uh, involved our oldest daughter, Kelby. She was set to go overseas as a student missionary two summers ago. She was excited to be working at an orphanage in Zimbabwe. Uh, she was enthusiastic, looking forward to uh, teaching, spending time with these kids. She was set to fly out uh, the end of August. Uh, unfortunately, in July, she suffered a kind of a freak incident with a horse while working at uh, summer camp. She broke her nose and some facial bones and was scraped up and sore and lost some of her teeth. But she was tough and she was healing and she still was planning to go to Africa. Well, just uh, her suitcase was all packed just a week, one week before she was set to fly overseas. She had a quick doctor's appointment to get some anti-malarial medication. Uh, Campion Academy had started and Steve and I were just neck deep in work, uh, getting ready for senior survival, when Steve and I get a text. And the text says from Kelby, hey, when you have a minute, give us a call. Well, Steve was able to uh, contact her first, and he came into my office with the news that Kelby, earlier that day, had checked herself into Poudre Valley Hospital, per instruction from her physician. I will always be thankful to her doctor for following up on some clues. Uh, she was diagnosed with type 1 insulin-dependent uh, diabetes. For some reason, her pancreas had stopped working. Walking into her hospital room later that day and seeing that stack of diabetic brochures and books and the pile of needles and insulin and supplies, it hit me that her life was going to look very different from that point on. She was not on the plane to Africa. It was a big disappointment. Uh, she kept her suitcase packed for months. God said no. Of course, we do praise God that um, her medical condition was discovered before she went overseas. Lamentations 3:33 lets us know that God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And we have to hang on to that truth when life hits us. Because life on this earth is hard. You know that. It's hard, and it often just plain stinks. But God doesn't desire pain for us. He is not indifferent to our suffering. I think of Jesus standing at that tomb with Mary and Martha outside the, that grave in Bethany. He knew. He knew what he was just about to do. But I picture him standing there between those two weeping women, grieving with them, weeping with them. Now, we know he wasn't crying for Lazarus because he was just about ready to raise him. Um, he was not weeping because of his own death, which was soon to take place. Jesus' grief was a mixture of divinity and humanity. He saw the results of unbelief, how many of those around the tomb would be plotting to kill him, and to kill the one he was about to raise. Again, I quote from Desire of Ages. The weight of the grief of ages was on him. 
Looking down the years to come, he saw the suffering and sorrow, tears and death. His heart was pierced with the pain of the human family of all ages and all lands. He saw you. He saw you. His tender, pitying heart is ever awakened to sympathy by suffering. He weeps with those who weep, and he rejoices with those that rejoice. When Jesus' friends hurt, he hurts. He sees your anguish. And even though he knows that better days are coming, our present pain right now, today, matters. It matters to Jesus. He hurts with us today. That is God's love. Confidence in Jesus' love changes everything about how we suffer. There's a song that one of my friends used to sing when I was in high school. It's called, you may remember it, When You Can't Trace His Hand, Trust His Heart. Because we often can't trace his hand, but we can always, always trust his heart. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Martha let Jesus know that removing the stone may not be such a good idea. But Jesus reminds her that if she believes, she will see the glory of God. Then Jesus prays to his father for the benefit of those watching that they would believe that he truly was sent from God. Now, I can just only imagine the anticipation of that moment when Jesus commands Lazarus to come out. Every eye must have been riveted on the opening of that tomb. And with hushed expectancy, they wait. And sure enough, there is a stirring in the grave. Lazarus comes out covered with grave clothes, which Jesus commands to be taken off. The onlookers are speechless with amazement. And there is a healthy, robust, full of life, Lazarus. And Lazarus throws himself at the feet of Jesus. His sisters rejoice. They embrace their brother with tears of gratitude. My first uh, career was doing respiratory therapy. And uh, soon after stopping doing respiratory, I started volunteering as a firefighter here in Colorado um, with the Windsor Severance Fire District. 
and uh, answered somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 call, 911 calls over six years. Um, between these two experiences, I've been exposed to a lot of death. Um, I've had to unplug ventilators for infants and adults. Um, I've responded to 911 calls for suicides. I've been to 911 calls where a teen was dead after a car accident. Um, I've done CPR on people who were dead because the spouse needed to see someone trying to save their loved one. Um, I have often thought the same thing as Martha. Um, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. <laughs> it would turn out different than if, if I was there helping. But Jesus was there hurting with these families that went through these different things uh, of these calls that I was on. When I was reading these verses, I was thinking about the fact that Mary and Martha would most likely have ended up seeing Lazarus die a second time, quite possibly from un unnatural causes because of the chief priests. Um, they, they needed him to be gone along with Jesus to further their ends. So Jesus asked the question to Martha, do you believe? He was asking about her believing that he was the resurrection and the life and that he who believes in Jesus will never die. So I want to ask you, do you believe? In all the ugliness that I have seen in this world, this is one thing that I hang on to that gives me great hope. There is something better coming that we, than what we have here. Um, can the praise team, uh, you guys can work, work your way up. So I want to ask you again, do you believe? If our answer is yes, I believe it, leaves, it leads us to live our lives differently here in this temporary sinful life we find ourselves in. If we believe, we trust that God feels our pain even when it is not obvious that he does. If we believe, we live lives that are less selfish and more giving. If we believe, we become more like Jesus, really. So would you stand with us, with Wendy and I, if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that he who believes in him will never die? Do you believe? What an amazing God that we can believe that he has the power over death itself. We saw that when Jesus resurrected. And not only that, but he's a friend of sinners. Join us in singing this new theme song. Jesus, what a friend of sinners.
Father God, we praise you that you are with us to the, end, to the very end. What a Savior and what a friend you are to us. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are the resurrection and the life and that we have hope today because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.